I want you to turn with me to Hebrew, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 1. And I want to talk to you about simple miracles. I want to talk to you about the miraculous. And I'll just start. Miracles uh, can take place in the thunder, and it could take place in a whisper. It could be a big, giant demonstration, or it could be something very subtle. But God is, is a God of the miraculous. He's supernatural. And it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 1, when he, Jesus, had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of the slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He, the centurion, is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. And we'll get back to that in a minute, but these guys, these Jewish elders, are advocating for the centurion and his slave. Now Jesus started on his way with them. There he is in Capernaum. He immediately goes in the direction of the slave. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. See, the, the elders had just said he is worthy. He clarified and said, I am not worthy. So he humbled himself. The elders said he was worthy because they loved, he loved and cared for the Jewish people, though he was occupying soldier from the Roman oppressors. Yet he built a synagogue with his own money that he earned as a soldier. Interesting backstory, isn't it? You know, in movies and films, people will have a role and they'll do a study of the character. And one of the methods is they'll create a backstory. Even if the screenwriter didn't write much detail elaborating on the person. But this here is very telling. This, this is a centurion. He's probably in his early 30s to, to mid 40s. He's been through many battles. He's literate. He knows how to read and write. He's over about 80 people, so he has a lot of responsibility. Yet, he also has compassion. You see that he deeply cares about his servant, and he wants his slave's life to come. He wants him to come back to life, and he sees that another thing that's very telling is here he is. He's watching Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, preaching in the streets, and he sees this guy's full on in the miraculous. This guy, this, this is what, this is what my, my slave at home needs, is the, is the miraculous that this guy's moving in. So he says, hey man, I'm not worthy. Don't even trouble yourself to come any further. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Verse 7, he says, for this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, just speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. He understood, he said, for I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not in, even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Everybody say, in good health. Now that's an amazing story, and I want to encourage you to go back and reread it for yourself and become acquainted with the centurion and look at the 
amazing moment that preceded this great miracle. And I want to show you some of the ingredients of the, of the essential components that need to take place, one of which was, of course, faith. He believed enough in Jesus that he said, please come, you know, could, could you please help my slave? He knew that and attributed to him that he was, in fact, miraculous. Did you know you serve a miraculous God? Did you know that in the world, in the end times, the Bible says they'll hold to a form of godliness and yet deny the power thereof? So we're not to be power deniers. We're not to get in denial about this. We're to actually embrace the supernatural aspects of our God. I'm really, when you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, really it's pretty, pretty radical what you believe. You believe in a God you never see. You, you believe in the invisible and yet real God. You've bet your life on unseen realities. You're, you believe in someone called the Holy Spirit who is poured out on all flesh. You believe that his word is not just good literature or great historical documentation, but in fact is the word of God. And you trust it and you base your life on it, realizing it's a lamp to your feet, it's a light to your path. It gives divine directives as to how to live, what God wants and what God insists upon and commands and what God does not like. It helps us to avoid the sin and go forward in righteousness. It shows and reveals Jesus to us. And here is a marvelous uh, verse. This guy has a compassion for his slave. He cares about the slave. He's actually, he wants him to recover. And he, he's not just a no deposit, no return, like so many other things we've seen in the gladiator type of environment where uh, some of those Caesars built gigantic Colosseums for the purposes of blood sport, where not only did they not really have compassion, they actually had barbaric hatred for the value and quality of human life. But Jesus values the individuals. Jesus was immediately ready to go, was on his way, beating a path to this guy's house because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to do the will of the Father and it's God's will that people be healed. And God had this laid out in such a clear and bright way right here in these verses. So they said he's worthy for you to grant him this because he loves our nation. So he's not anti-Semitic. He's, he's pro-Israel. He's even given his own money to build a synagogue. And I think that could have been, that could have provoked or elicited some derision and mockery from his fellow soldiers. Like, why are you helping these people, man? What's wrong with you? But there was something really right about him. But that was not the basis with which this man got healed. It wasn't his giving. It wasn't his kindness toward the Jews. It wasn't his respect for the others. It wasn't even his compassion. It was his faith. He said, I, he did not commend any of these other things, but he said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And I've heard people say, a lot of people got so bogged down in the legalism of the law that they were straining at gnats and swallowing camels. They were distracted. And this is what I feel in 2020 right now. We need to start to crave simple miracles. We need to understand that God is our God and he never changes. And that's emphatic throughout the Bible. And I've spent all these Fridays teaching you about Zacchaeus who had the miracle of a conversion. Here's a guy that was a harsh mistreater of people, overtaxing others, developed a uh, a bad reputation, and yet Jesus cleansed his life. And he went out and he, he made 
restitution for his behavior, and you could see a brightness and a change in his life. Blind Bartimaeus, his blind eyes were open. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years with a hemorrhage, she, the, immediately she felt that her condition had healed. Jesus felt virtue and power go out of him, and she was changed. Jairus' daughter was raised. Uh, I think a while back I talked to you about Lazarus was raised from the dead. And he said, Jesus told Martha, did I not say to you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? In Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 15, 16, and 17, how will we believe if we've never heard? And how will we hear without a preacher? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm under instruction to minister this to you. If you're at home on the couch and you're struggling or what you're dealing with sickness or a battle, I know God is near the brokenhearted. Just talked to a young soldier who's back uh, on a Christmas break and his grandfather passed suddenly from a pulmonary embolism. Thankfully, I got delivered from a pulmonary embolism. I had one uh, just a year ago and God delivered me. I've never felt such pain in all my life. It was like a hot poker going through my back, through my lungs. But I know God will be near and heal that family and that loss, that immediate loss, because he's near the brokenhearted, isn't he? And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I want to talk to you about this, and I want you to focus on simple miracles. And again, there are people in the Bible and throughout history who live primarily covert lives, yet they're still talked about to this day. For example, the woman who gave all she had, the two coins, in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. Jesus was watching. People were giving at the temple, and she gave these two little bronze leptons. If you go to Israel now, these are actually fetching quite a price. They're even making uh, fake ones in China. But what was really significant in the, it was the miracle of this woman's generosity. She gave out of all she had, and Jesus commended her, and it's constantly talked about to this day, the miracle of generosity. There was another miracle of generosity in uh, John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14, when the 5,000 were hungry, and they had been out there with Jesus for so long, they suppressed uh, even their own physical appetite because they were hanging on every word. And then Jesus wanted to feed them. And, he, and, the, and there was a boy with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus took it, blessed it, multiplied it, and 5,000 men were fed, and then also the ladies and the kids, so thousands more. There was a, the, the famous uh, miracle, simple miracle of the woman who gave the alabaster vial of the expensive spikenard ointment. That ointment by today's definition was about one year's wages. It was a very precious uh, essential oils that were really in that spice trade period 2,000 years ago. This stuff was like worth more than gold, more, more than the weight of gold. It took a special process, harvesting of a special type of, of, of shrub, and she had this special precious thing. She broke the alabaster jar and anointed his head and his feet, and uh, it was a miracle of lavish generosity in Luke chapter 7 verse 46. Uh, there's another miracle of generosity where in Matthew 21 1 through 11 Jesus prophesied and said hey man go into town there's a family that has a colt that has never been ridden on. Go up to the family say hey the master has need of it <laughs> and they'll give it to you and I just think that family 
has to be A-plus cool, and we have to give a shout-out to the family that gave their colt when guys walked up and said, hey, the master has need of it. Oh, okay. I mean, that's radical. That's miraculous. In today's world, I mean, it would be like, get off my yard, you know? And not only did they not do that, they were like, yeah, how, here's my colt. And you know, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a service vehicle provided by this precious family of unnamed people that were, it was a miracle of, of obedience. It's a miracle of obedience. It's funny that I'm sharing miracles all in the context of giving. Um, there are a lot of healing miracles. The first one I shared was, of course, the slave of the centurion who, when they got back home, they saw the guy was in good health. Can you imagine the guy's going, I don't know what you guys just did, but I feel great, you know? And the centurion, I'm sure we'll see him in heaven. He met Jesus. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, even when other people advocated. He didn't play it up like, you know, I, and in fact, none of these people play it up. We don't even know the name of the family that gave the, the colt. We don't know the name of the lady that gave all she had. Uh, the boy, the five loaves and the two fishes. We ought to give a shout out to her mom, his mom for making him lunch like that. It's a mom too, right? She goes, hey, I'm not chopped liver here, man. I made the lunch for him. But just that the boy walked up and, you know, I, I, it to me is childlike faith. The guy's like, I think you could do something with this. This is what I have. The disciples were just all jacked up on unbelief. But here this little boy was full of faith. I love this other group since we're talking about unnamed heroes, unsung heroes. In Mark chapter 2, there's a group of four guys that lowered their friend through a roof in the same town, Capernaum. Uh, just off the northern shore of Galilee. And they tore the roof off and lowered their paralytic friend in the room, and he came out walking, healed. And they're unnamed rope holders. Those are good friends. Thank God for people like that in our lives that are willing to support us when we're stuck and we need help. Praise God for that. And do it in faith. And believe God for a miracle. They, they, the unnamed rope holders lowered their friend into the context of a miracle. And I just feel like you need to understand. Take your hands. Your hands, the lift up your hands. I heard a minister say that 2020 was a year of laying on of hands. And then I thought, man, I wonder how he's feeling now when we've been socially distanced. But, you know, I'll tell you how he's feeling. He, because he walks by faith, the laying on of hands is a doctrine that will continue to endure throughout all the way till uh, the second coming. So whatever you put your hand to will prosper. Two little bronze leptons, little widow's mites. Uh, five loaves and two fishes. The alabaster jar, just giving what you have, doing what you can do, being who you are. But doing it all in faith. You know, these, these rope holders, let's get our friend. We don't know the name of the guy, but the Bible says in Mark chapter 2, but Jesus, seeing their faith, he saw their faith. And um, that's pretty elegant, isn't it? Faith without action is dead. Faith without corresponding action is dead. And so, you know, it took something for you guys to get here tonight or for you to stay on this. I'm trying to preach to keep you on here so you don't answer your texts that keep popping up on your phone while I'm preaching. This is new. I mean, I've been a pastor for 40 years with my wife here in St. Louis, 40 years this month. And we, when we started, we didn't have cell phone technology. We didn't have a, a laptops. Thank you. But, but I mean, when people were looking down, it was usually reading their Bible. It wasn't like texting what to get at the grocery store to their kid, you know, or playing chess. 
Anyway, you just don't know. That's why I like my paper Bible, because I can't get a text from it. I can just get revelation. Um, yeah, and then also there were other unnamed rope holders. In uh, the case of Paul the Apostle, he was uh, being, uh, some people made a covenant. They said, we will not eat until we kill Paul, because he was preaching the gospel. And some unnamed rope holders lowered Paul over the wall of uh, Damascus. And... Um, Apparently, there's a bunch of gaunt, skinny-looking, kind of emaciated people running around that made a commitment never to eat again, and they're still, they're, they're still running around like a bunch of mean, weird, grumpy, threatening, you know, hallelujah. Anyway, here's what I want you to understand today, that God has called us to trust him for the miraculous. And I want to go to Mark chapter 16 and get a breathtaking snapshot this is reinforced by most of the, by quite an abundance of manuscripts, this part here. A lot of people wonder about the last part of Mark chapter 16. I believe it's valid and of great value. He said in verse 15 to go and preach the gospel to all creation, good news. And then it says in verse 17, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So to the, what the preacher said about 2020, it's a year of laying on of hands. It's a year of the miraculous. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Wow. I believe that there is a miracle moment that's present for us right now. There are miracles that God has that he wants to lay out for each one of us. Who in here has ever experienced a touch of the miraculous? Who's had your prayers get answered? You've been healed? I'll just give you an example. I just told you I had a pulmonary embolism. And uh, God delivered me. I, you know, Gary Shandling died from a pulmonary embolism. Two guys back here, their grandpa just died of a pulmonary embolism. By the grace of God, I didn't. You know, I got lost at sea. God delivered me. I mean, who can say that in St. Louis, Missouri? God is, he's been just so good to me. I, I remember I had reoccurring strep throat. It was, it was almost like clockwork. And it was usually a terrible case. One time the doctor said, if it makes you feel any better... This is the worst possible case I've ever seen. This is the worst it could ever get. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not just, you know, feeling crummy and being all, uh, you know, whiny. You know, this is, it was bad. And, I, and, and yet I started to learn about the healing uh, truths about Jesus. And so I started to take a stand when this started to attack me. And God began to show me and guide me in simple faith for simple, miraculous things to happen. And uh, it wasn't really complicated. It was just, this is what Jesus does. There's a miracle in my mouth, so I'm going to speak God's word while I might, before my throat completely closes up, because it would get dry and close up. You know, I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. It was so bad. And um, God delivered me. I remember it was coming into this avalanche of circumstance, and it was going to, and I've had it, I had it happen so many times, man, this is going to get bad really fast. And I had good teaching. I was in an environment like you're in right now, 
with a preacher preaching essentially what I'm preaching right now. And I'm so grateful that I had good teaching because that good teaching helped to clarify to me that this sickness wasn't something God was putting on me to teach me something. It wasn't a gift from God. It was actually a curse that Jesus actually bore a curse on the cross so we could have healing. And so I took a hold of that and I continue to take hold of that. And I will not let go of this truth because there's just so much around us that we need to believe God to sustain us with. And uh, he is miraculous. He is supernatural. And I've been stuck in bad places. You know, I've been in near riot situations. I've been in, you know, I grew up in strange and indifferent kind of scenarios. And God has delivered me through so many things. And I just want to commend to you that he is, he is miraculous. Understand the power and potential of what I'm talking about right now. Just a little bitty act of faith on the part of the woman with the two coins, the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, the woman with the alabaster vial of spikenard, the centurion who just came in and said, I'm not even worthy, even though they say I am, I'm not expecting you to come because I have a sense of entitlement, because I'm a giver or because I love the Jewish people. No, I, I know I'm a man under authority and I know I give and receive orders, just give an order and I know that he's gonna be healed. And that was what Jesus was so interested in. And that's what, in fact, bears down on here. The woman with the two coins had no idea we'd be talking about her 2,000 years later. She wasn't doing it for a show. Neither was the boy of the five loaves and two fishes. He would have no idea that 2,000 years later, somebody would be standing at a podium on an altar preaching a story about what he did. He'd be incredulous over it. The guys that lowered their friend with a rope, they would think, what? People even notice that? They probably died before it was all documented. It was probably just verb oral uh, information up to that point until it had been written. Probably maybe many of them had already passed. They never even, they lived and died not knowing how epic and heroic their simple miracle aspects of obedience uh, what it created. Listen, do not despise the day of small things. What I want to get over to you tonight is this. Everything starts as a seed. A little leaven can leaven a whole lump of dough. A mustard seed of faith can cause a mountain to be moved. Have courage with this. In fact, for our nation right now, I think the British Christians in the 40s, the German Christians in the 40s, had a lot of work on their hands when it came to these kinds of things. So here we are in 2020 in this amazing moment and we've just got to shake off the heaviness. We've got to get out of denial, get out of apathy and complacency. We don't need to be in fear or anxiety, but we do need to get on this dimension of focusing on the miracle working God we serve because there are people around us that God has positioned in our lives that need what we have. They need your prayers. They need your concern. They need your love. Look, I think one of the biggest parts of the story of the centurion is that the love he had for his slave. So much so that he arranged to get people to talk to Jesus to get help for that guy. And it's the opposite of so much of what we saw with people like Caligula and Caesar and Tiberius and Claudius and how wicked they were 
uh, in terms of the Roman Empire. But here comes a guy who goes, no, man, I love the Jewish people. I paid out of my own pocket to build them a cool uh, synagogue. Like he stood back and it was like, he wasn't even a Jewish person. I, I don't think he was a Hellenistic Jew. I, I, it doesn't give any indication that he was a convert. We don't know. He might have been. I don't know. But he definitely was respectful to Jesus, and he got him at, put him in the context of an extraordinary breakthrough, extraordinary, miraculous things. And in, you know, in Acts chapter 19, extraordinary miracles were wrought through the hands of Paul. I'm talking about simple miracles. I'm talking about mustard seed, rubber meets the road, just show up, be led by the Holy Spirit. Listen, here, here's, here, here's what I really I, I want to say. That if you want to take notes in your note taker, number one, fellowship with God because he is miraculous and personality traits rub off. I've seen people pick up other people's accents. They, they mirror, there's part of their personality is they mirror. So they'll walk away from somebody and they'll talk like the other person just talked. I mean, they could have been from, uh, you know, they could, they could have been from, from New Orleans. They get around somebody from Boston and they say, I'm going to park my car. You know, it's like, it's like they just pick it up. All of a sudden they're morphing into the East Coast. You know, I've seen that people do that. Somebody in here that can do that. But I'll tell you what, fellowship with God He's miraculous. Even Peter and John, they said they could tell they were unlearned men, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. That Galilean accent was evident. Number two, read the Bible. It documents the miraculous. I mean, I'm reading Job for the second time in the last few weeks. And even in the case of Job, it's saturated with the miraculous. It's not a book that you get really that excited about reading because it's chapter after chapter of a guy being pummeled by the enemy and having all kinds of conflict in his thought life. But really, all's well that ends well. And you can read in the book of James, where consider the outcome of his life and the patience of Job and how God was pleased with and, and rejoiced over his perseverance. So Job had some miracles, even Job. Number three, pray about miracles every day. This will increase miracle potential in our lives. Get up and say, Father, you're a God of miracles, and these signs will follow those who believe, and I'm a believer, and I am trusting you, God, that you're going to use me somehow in my prayer life, in my, as my example, in my sharing. It could be something simple. It could be something medium. It could be something extravagant. I'm, I'm cool with whatever you want to do, God, and so I'm trusting you for the supernatural. I'm trusting you for, uh, you know, it says, Pursue love, but desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So it's something that we should desire. We should, we should pray about. Number four, stay open to God's leadership and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do miracles through you. Stay yielded to and open to the Holy Spirit. Where he'd have you go, what he'd have you say, what he'd have you give, what he'd have you do. And I think it's interesting because I didn't really plan on the examples of the miraculous all being in the areas and dimensions of giving. But I think prayer is giving. I think laying on of hands is giving. I think preaching the gospel is giving. I think God loves a cheerful giver. And he's able to make all grace abound toward us so we having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You're poised for the supernatural. Your, your life is set up strategically for the extraordinary. 
You serve a supernatural God. He answers your prayer. The ear, his ears are inclined to the prayer of the upright. His mercy endures forever. Who in here is glad for mercy in your life? Thank God for his mercy. God even knew that humanity would disrupt and, and fail and fall and there would be fractures in the timeline. But yet God had a plan. He would bring through David's lineage a, a king that would come that would serve the purposes of God and blast and, and obliterate the devil and then download a tremendous strategy to the people and give delegated authority to men and women, kids, people that have been serving God for decades, people who just got saved. Signs, wonders, and miracles God has planned for each and every one of us. Listen, shake off the heaviness. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Get out of unbelief. He said, did I not say, told Martha, did I not say that if you believe, you see the glory of God? How many of you are believers? I believe, I receive when I pray. And I prayed tonight that you would get this message. I prayed tonight bodies would be healed. I pray there would be some immediate miracles. There would be some process miracles. But man, I'm believing God for miracles. That God will stretch forth his hand to heal. And that signs and wonders will take place through the name of his holy son, Jesus. There's a family in the church. Daughter was having a, um, a bunch of math homework. They went to a car dealership and they were waiting to get this car detailed or get it ready and they were buying it or something. And then a guy was there that was, uh, he was a graduate of MIT. And, and he specialized in the math that she, was having the, that she was having to get ready for in a test. And what was interesting is she, she didn't prepare for the test. She took a test and failed, but mercifully the teacher said, I'm gonna give you a second chance because this is not like you. And so she's in there, and she was, she was admittedly stuck. But God provided a series of miracles for that family. Don't you think that? Hey, you may not think that's a big deal. You may be a hater of math. But for the purposes of this testimony right now, that for that girl, don't you think that was a high level, like God raised Lazarus from the dead? Provided a, a, a guy of a professor level from MIT who came in who was specializing in that math, who walked her through all of it, and she got an A on the test. God supplies. God provides. He's faithful. Listen, I want to, this is important. You have to value and honor yourself if you want to walk in the supernatural. Now, that sounds prideful. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching the awareness, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the, the glory will go to God and not to us, but we need to understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and the potter has designed each one of us for his purposes and he has dynamic plans. And remember what I read in Mark chapter 16, and the Lord went out, they went out everywhere, the Lord working with them. One translation said he accompanied them he worked with them and confirmed his word with signs and wonders. Everybody say signs and wonders. Now we manage our expectations. We go through things, we get disappointed, and then we start to let our theology be governed by a few faith failures. And that is not consistent with what I'm talking about here. Every one of us has been tempted to do that. Every one of us, if we need to be honest. You go, you know, you pray for somebody, they die, and you're at their funeral thinking, they should have lived for 10 or 15 more years. 
And this just, uh, why, you know, why did this happen? Why God, why, you know? And I think that's the story of Job. He did not curse God and he did not quit. So don't be afraid of reading the book of Job. Basically, some theologians think he only had about 18 months of difficulty. It was a hard 18 months, though. I mean, the wind blew in and killed all his family, all his crops, his livestock, you know, all his, all his friends are, you know, telling him just to curse. His wife even said, curse God and die, you know. But yet, God helped him to overcome. So there's, there's redemption in the book of Job. There's redemption reading in Ecclesiastes where Solomon backslid and had all kinds of distorted observations because of the lens of being backslidden. And we as Christians have to look at that and see and be able to judge Scripture with Scripture and evaluate these things in the light of redemption and in the light of the whole counsel of God. This is why I don't believe the gifts have ceased. This is why I don't believe the day of miracles has passed. They, God is full on still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and is therefore predictably consistent if we will trust him, he watches over his word to perform it. He told that to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, when he was about 13 years old and was called upon to prophesy to ancient Israel during a huge time of social conflict. He said, I'm calling you to tear down and rebuild. He told Isaiah, I'm going to extract people from your midst that will be repairers of the streets and restorers of the streets in which to dwell. God's called us to be people who stand in the gap and make up a hedge. We're, we're people of the gap. We have a ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation in our prayer life, in our giving, in our serving, in our sharing, in just our very showing up. Listen, they got in Peter's shadow and they got healed. I think there's something about proximity. And I'm looking back there at Patty Fosnot, and she worked hard to make all that, all the stuff. She used her skills to put all so much of this together and make this all a well-oiled machine with her, with her organizational skills and for Build-A-Bag. And because she, she buys into the idea that it's not just like a charity gesture Church is not a charity organization. Man, we're the kingdom of God. We're the body of Christ. And these signs are to follow us who believe. This is, we're called to advance and champion the cause of Jesus and live out God's dream. The world's living in a nightmare. We've got to come in with the good news. And the good news is this, God answers prayer. The good news is this, signs and wonders are to follow us as we trust him and we get back and shake this off. Some of you got to dust some of this off. When I was a young Christian, this is what we fed on. This is what we studied. This is what we meditated on. And maybe because we were youthful and enthusiastic, maybe because we were idealistic in our youthfulness, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what most of the people we were studying under and reading about were elderly people. So they were actually not in some sort of youthful exuberance. It was actually a practical subject that we looked at and saw. I was in Switzerland at a youth hostel, and I heard a preacher say that he never used an alarm clock, that he could just believe God, God would get him, wake him up at a certain time every morning. And so I thought, okay, man, I'm going to try that out. So I was over there, and I, I, I don't think he ever traveled out of the nation. I think he maybe went to one nation one time, but he, so he didn't have jet lag. 
So I was in some different time zones, so that's where, the, but anyway, I, I woke up, I took a shower, everybody was asleep, I thought, wow, I got the shower to myself, it's this big, you know, really nice youth hostel, a lot of people in it. I went down to the, to the uh, mess hall, you know, the, the uh, cafeteria, and I was just sitting around, I just can't wait, I'm, gonna, I'm in the nations, and I'm going to witness to the first people who come along, and here were about five guys from Africa, they came over, I, they, they could speak English, Come on, let's say, hey, I want to talk to you guys. So we sat down and we're talking. First of all, I found out I, it was, I had gotten up. I wanted to get up at 6. I got up at 3 in the morning. So I was off by a little bit. So I had time to pray, you know. I still am tired from it, actually, and it was about 40 years ago. But I talked to these guys, and they said, um, I, I was disappointed to find out they were already Christians. It's like, oh, man. I got up and I thought I'm trying to be fancy pants in faith and get up and use my faith to wake up at three, six o'clock. It's three o'clock. I was off by three hours. And then I'm at least going to get to lead these guys to Christ. And they're already saved. Disappointed as I was, here's what they did say to me. Because I talked to him about T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne was a pioneer evangelist. He and his wife, Daisy were mighty, and we were reading material from them, listening to 12-inch records about healings and people being healed, and it was inspiring to our faith. So I mentioned him. He said, and I quote, when T.L. Osborne came to our country, many people did not believe, but then when they saw the miracles, now they believe. And that gave me goosebumps. I just got them again. Because they... They didn't have a context. Their, their framework was animism and idolatry. They didn't know this, they, they could have a relationship with one personal God that, got, that I'm the Lord, I change not. And then all of a sudden they saw these signs, wonders, and miracles as uh, 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 attestations to God, who God is and they became Christians from it. I think this might be why I'm dusting off the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and I'm preaching to you about blind Bartimaeus. And I'm preaching to you about the woman with the hemorrhage for 12 years or the slave of the centurion who was healed or Jairus' daughter who rose up or Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Listen, we get challenged. The devil tries to stir us. Why, God, why? Yeah, but how come? And those kinds of things. And uh, we have to just go back to the New Testament and we just have to be in, in, renewed in our conviction that as we go, God will confirm his word with signs following. And so this is what I want to I conclude to you is one of the key things that's going to help us in the flow is to love, value, esteem, and honor others. And that's what we saw as we looked in Luke chapter 7. The centurion cared about his slave. And faith works through love. And so even where you feel frustrated with where things are going in society, even where you see things that are very upsetting to you, you got to push the reset button on the catalyst called love. Let everything you do be done in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, let everything we do be done in love. That doesn't mean namby-pamby. That doesn't mean sissification. That doesn't mean being passive. It's actually very proactive. In fact, it'll help us to be, not be reactive. 
If we get in this thing, I'm in this because I love my country. I'm in this because I love the nations. I'm in this because I love people. I'm in this because I love God and I want to see the love of God shed out all over the world and people come to know him and people to get breakthrough, get delivered, get set free, get healed. I'm believing God for bodies to be healed. Right? Can we all stand up on our feet? Let's all stand up on our feet. Here's what I want to do. I want to I want you to be to stay available. How many of you need a miracle tonight? Keep your hands up. You need a miracle. Keep your hands up. Seriously. Find the person with their hand up and stretch your hands toward them. And ask God to address that specific need, whatever it may be. We don't know exactly what they're going through, but let's trust God for a breakthrough in this situation. 